Justine Flynn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about thank you a bit for sure. And I really want to get into the story there and how you got into that space. But um, I'm just curious, a bit of Hamish here, like what are your mum's stats? You've got two kids, right? How old are they? Boys, girls, give me the deets. All right. I have an eight-year-old boy, Jedediah, and he's the apple that hasn't fallen far from the tree. <laughs> he's like Daniel and I in one person, and he blows us away with his creativity and his out-of-the-box thinking. Um, and, yeah, he's a great kid. Then there is our daughter, River, and she is two and a half. And she's just, she's beautiful and sweet, but she's also very strong and, um, you know, can hold her ground very well. And she is uh, a lot of joy as well to have in our family at the moment as we're getting to know her personality more and, yeah, to see her shine. Where does she get that uh, that strong personality from? Um, Probably her mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. And uh, you guys are up in the Sunshine Coast, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Are you guys like near the beach? Is that like a frequent thing, or it is? It is actually. Yeah, we we're maybe ten minutes from the beach, um, but it's definitely we try to you know make it a priority to get there as much as we can. Um, I try and go in the mornings, you know, as the sun's rising when it's not summer because it's four thirty rise. I think in in summer, <laughs> um, but love to you know have a yeah good walk on the beach and. Yeah, get the kids out there for a run around. Nice. And are you like a morning meditation yoga kind of gal? Um, not really. I, I do like to, yeah, just go for a walk and clear my mind. Um, but yeah. Well, the kids often uh, don't allow that kind of practice every morning anyway, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, actually, Daniel and I have worked out a routine that works for us. I know it wouldn't work for many many people but with our schedule it has worked and we realized with Jed starting school you know the school run and how intense it is getting out the door um is quite intense every morning so and then the Sunshine Coast is also a morning culture so a lot of our catch-ups and people that want to catch up with us they sometimes would be like let's catch up at 6 a.m <laughs> like what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what is this place? Um, so um, we found that that is actually the easiest time and, and space sometimes to do catch-ups and, you know, whether we want to fit in exercise and things like that. So in order to create space for each other, we now alternate every second morning. So um, Daniel has Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. I've got Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. And then on those mornings, we know they're free to do whatever we want. And then the other person has to suck up doing school run and, getting out the door with the two kids in the morning but you know you, you can suck it up knowing the next day the other person's gonna step in and you get to have the day the morning free that's nice get a sleep in till like seven yeah the sunshine coast <laughs> yeah sleep in or yeah get up early and seize the day either way i'm all about that early start though to be honest uh, i was just in italy for a couple of weeks seeing some family over there like nothing happens in europe before 8 a.m like nothing <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, get up, like have breakfast at like seven or something. It's like, no, no that's not going to happen. So I like yeah, this. night culture, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, should we go out for dinner? It's like 6.30 and it's like, no. <laughs> More <laughs> <Whereas>, like eight. <laughs> whereas here a lot of the cafes are closed by like one, 
1 p.m. Yeah. or something, <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> Especially when you come from Melbourne and, you know, you're used to all-day brunches. It's like, well, you can only brunch up until, like, 10. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I like it, though. It's good. It's good. I wouldn't change it. Okay, and um, let's talk a bit about thank you then. Yeah, I'm just really curious about your story and, and how you got into that space because, yeah, I want to know where the inspiration came from to start to give back in the way that you guys do because I don't think it's like a general business kind of thing and I'm just curious about the whole philanthropic part of your mind and, and how you see that and just where the inspiration came, I guess, to get started and, yeah, a bit about your story, creating Thank You and how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel and I both have different journeys and they're both kind of parallel journeys just in different ways. And um, we kind of met then some point uh, in amongst it all. So for me, it actually started from when I was 12. I grew up in North Queensland, actually, in Mackay. And um, I remember this moment where I was sitting on the carpet and I was listening to my teacher, Miss Morrison, as she was sharing some of the travels that she'd done into developing countries. She was talking about, you know, staying in, you know, grass huts and what it was like. And her goal and vision was to kind of help us see outside of the bubble that we were in and living in and to see, you know, a global world. And I remember I just wanted to see it so much for myself. I wanted to um, go and have these experiences that she was having. And one day she announced that she's leaving and she's going to live in Indonesia for good. And I remember being gutted because I wanted to go over on one of the trips with her. And she was like, why don't you just come visit me? Um, that was when I was like 12 or something that that happened, but it wasn't until I think I was 14. Um, my parents, I asked if I could go. They said I could on my own if as long as I fundraised all the money myself. Love that. Yeah. Well, actually, my mom helped me do the fundraising. Um, and she, I think at that young age, I look back and I'm like, wow, she actually helped me learn fundraising and like running, I guess, small businesses in a way. Um, so we made lemmingtons on the kitchen bench, if you know how messy that is. <laughs> we just sell them to whoever would buy them. Um, we did pie drives, sausage sizzles, clothes swapping parties, you know, all you can think of every fundraiser I did. And then headed off on my own. Um, there was actually a small group of people um, from our church at the time that went over, but then I stayed separate to them. They went and did something else and I stayed separate to them with this teacher. And um, then I stayed on a bit longer as well because I wanted to get the most amount of experience. So when I landed there, I got to see poverty for the first time. And I remember traveling out to the villages and seeing a community that had access to safe water and then a community that didn't. And you could see the differences. As a 14-year-old, I could see the difference. I think the biggest part that impacted me the most so was when I came back and I encountered that culture shock. I thought I would get it when I went there, but actually when I came back and I was looking around my room at all of the stuff I had as a 14-year-old around my room and just realizing I don't need any of this stuff in order to give me joy, value, fulfillment in life. I'd seen people who had been living with absolutely nothing and the things that they were finding joy, value and fulfillment with were in people. And uh, it was sort of then that I realized for me, success was going to be using the skills and the talents and whatever it was that I could do, the opportunities that I had um, to be able to um, help others, like be able to be equipped to be able to lift themselves out of poverty. 
and I kind of went on that. I was 14, so I didn't like fully know the whole, you know, extent of what that would look like at that time. I didn't start a social enterprise the next day or anything mm-hmm. like that. I continued on learning about me and learning about the things that I, you know, enjoyed and and that sort of thing. When I was in year 11, I ended up in a business studies class by accident. I didn't want to be in it. Uh, I wanted other units, um, but I wasn't able to get into those units. Um, so I ended up in this business studies one and I ended up really enjoying it. And then my school actually nominated me to compete um, in this Australian business competition that was on at the time. And so I competed with other students within my region. We ended up winning and then competed nationally which was really exciting. And it was sort of then that I realized over those few years that I really enjoyed business and I really enjoyed, uh, I guess, the thinking and the strategy behind it, the creativity. And it was then that I was trying to figure out, is there a way that I could, you know, merge, you know, business with being able to help people uh, in need? But really at this time, this was a fair while away. Um, I couldn't really, there wasn't really anything like social enterprise wasn't a, a, a word that was used back then and didn't really know what that looked like. So I um, ended up moving to Melbourne and was still trying to figure out my path. I remember I was working at Just Jeans. So I was Justine at Just Jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I remember catching up with the teacher that I, I spoke about earlier. This was years later. And she was like, what are you doing at Just Jeans? Like, this is so not what's within you. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> frustrated about it. But uh, it was obviously meant to be that I was somehow ended up from Mackay all the way to Melbourne because that's sort of where I met Daniel. He was this charming 19-year-old and he had gone on his own journey. He wanted to be a millionaire before he was 21. Right. Um, he often jokes that he married me and so he became one. <laughs> like, <laughs> the cheese there. But, uh, yeah, so that was his sort of trajectory and then he had his own sort of encounter moment as well, I guess, when he was just seeing how much is spent on consumerism and how much we're spending on just ridiculous things that could actually be going to help people in need. And he had a moment just by watching a YouTube video and he watched this YouTube video of this young boy who was pretty young and he was going to collect water for his sisters and that water ended up um, killing his sisters because it was contaminated. And Daniel has twin sisters or sisters that are twins. And um, they, I think that just really hit a chord for Daniel of going, you know, you know, also asking that question of what is success here? And, you know, is there a way that he could funnel that creativity that he also has as well and passion that he has um, to be able to help people in need? So we started off by um, launching Thank You Water. It was at the time. And, you know, $53 trillion spent on a worldwide on a concept as ridiculous as bottled water. <laughs> and we were like at the same time, this is this is back in 2008, 900 million people didn't have access to safe water. And it's these two extremes that we thought, well, maybe perhaps we could bridge these extremes together. And so from there, um, we kind of set out. Now, we were we were still quite young at this point. You know, we, Daniel was first year uni. Um, I had 
kind of moved from just jeans into, you know, some admin work, which I'm really not good at. So um, please right. don't put that on my resume for admin. <laughs> I am not good at admin. And um, I then started studying um, business and marketing as well. And um, from there, yeah, we just started looking at, there was a few others, our co-founder Jared as well, um, you know, as a few others, we all sort of started working together to see what this would look like and where it would go. We didn't have any money behind us. Uh, it was just purely just passion um, and conviction that, you know, we think that this could work. We had a lot of setbacks at the beginning and a lot of challenges, but it was this, uh, I guess, passion and, like I said, that vision to see, we can see this becoming a reality. And even though we had people saying, oh, we don't quite understand it, why don't you just become you know, a normal business or why don't you finish your uni degrees first, all that sort of thing. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. When you were 14, you went to Indonesia for the first time. What were the differences between the towns that had access to clean drinking water and the towns that didn't? I mean, I, I was I was fourteen, so at that time, seeing it as a fourteen-year-old, it was the dryness and the poverty that I could see. Um, so I could see that they were this, and I'm speaking as a fourteen-year-old through my lens as fourteen. Um, you know, they seemed a lot poorer. You know, they didn't have as much food. Obviously, it was dry and hot, but it was also like this. Um, it felt like a, like a desperation, if that made sense. Like this is sort of what I was perceiving. Um, now having, you know, done a bit more life and actually learned a bit more about developing countries and, and visiting the fields, um, I have gone and seen um, different communities and learnt. I mean, I could share the story of our first project. Uh, okay, I remember when we first did a project in Cambodia. It was a well. It's the first project we'd ever done. We went over to to check it out and and see it and meet the community. And at that point, I think I still thought that it just meant that they didn't have to drink dirty water. You know, I didn't know the full ramifications of it. And I sat down with this family and I said, "Oh, what was life like for you before you had this well?" And they said, "Well, we were just sick all the time." Our kids couldn't go to school, we couldn't work, and our entire income of what we were getting was just all going into medical expenses. And so I said, well, what is life like for you now that you have the well? And they said, well, we were actually able to buy this plough. And I remember at first I thought, oh, wow, a plough. But then I realised it just it just hit me of this, like, this is how that cycle of poverty, that how you can break that cycle of poverty, is that now that they actually were able to generate income because they weren't sick, they were then able to put the money instead of into medical expenses into buying a plough, which then helps them generate more income for their family, be able to send their kids to school. Their kids now have a chance of getting an education and et cetera. And, and that's an example of just by having safe water a community is able to be lifted out of poverty. That's huge. That's mm. huge. I, we have a, um, a lady on our team and she spent her early years in Somalia and we're doing this piece on gratitude one day in business and she said to me, Alex, I'm still grateful every morning that I turn the tap on and water comes out. Yeah. Because for the first many years of my life, that didn't happen. Like similar, similar to yourself, like that moment of like when they say they can buy a plow and you're like, what? And then it kind of hits you like the gravity of that. Yeah. You know, it's just happening every day. And I'm here in Paran, which is like as far from those problems as you can get. Yeah. 
know. Yeah, it really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah, which I think is um, we need a healthy dose of that perspective pretty much every day in the worlds we live at the moment. And so how then did you start to bring Thank You Water to life because you had no funding? Mm-hmm. You essentially had nothing to get a business off the ground. So how did you start that process and what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. The early days, it was very much, you know, it was it was that dreaming, that planning, but that trying to figure out, can we even do this? You know, like going to Google, how do you start a bottled water company? Um, and Daniel had spoken to a few people that might be able to help kick it off financially. Um, but sort of when he was talking to them, they'd be like, how are you going to fund this? And he's thinking, I thought you were. You know, like, <laughs> um, but it got to a point where um, we realised that actually momentum is actually what, you know, brings that when people see that you're serious about it and that you actually, this is for real, we're actually doing it. It actually helps people get buy-in. And the way that Thank You is set up is that um, we're 100% owned by our charitable trust. So what that actually means is that we can't get investors in, if that makes sense. So, yeah, so no one gets equity from the business, not even Daniel or I. It's just all fully for the charitable trust and for our impact partners that we give to. So that is hard to be able to grow sustainably as well. So at the beginning days, uh, it was really we found a manufacturing company. Um, We were told we needed 200 grand in order to do that. We shared the vision with him and what we wanted to do. He kind of fell back in his chair and went, look, I've been in the bottling industry for um, 20 years. I've never heard anything like this. I want to be part of it. Um, Maybe I can do everything up cost for you, um, up front for you. And then once you sell it, you can pay it back. So it was sort of that cash flow um, setup that he did for us. Then we went to a beverage distributor and when people found out we're going to this beverage distributor, they're kind of like, what? Like that's, you know, it's it was kind of Australia's biggest private beverage distributor at the time. And people were thinking, look, you've got to start small, like don't just go straight there. But of course but we did. Yeah. Yeah, of course we go there. Um, you know, and all we had at the time was pictures, you know, drafted up on, you know, A4 pieces paper and they somehow gave us a chance and made an order then and there on the spot of 50,000 bottles um, to which we then had to go back to the manufacturer and be like, "Um, yeah, we need this ASAP. (laughs) And it was a fun, fun journey. It kind of started from that, but then it was that moment where we realized we still needed about 20 grand to do things like register the business and legal stuff and all of that sort of thing. We needed 20 grand of hard cash, but it was once again, talking to mentors that they were like, oh, wow, this is serious. So you've got a distributor, you've got the factory, it's all in motion. And so we had some business mentors gift us $20,000 and said, this is no strings attached. Here's $20,000. Good luck. You know, all the best. It's pretty crazy because at the moment we're actually funding a um, organization called D-Prize in Africa and they focus on grants of $20,000. And it just blows my mind that that's something that we are funding right now as well. And that's sort of how we started. So it's very cool. Amazing. That's really full circle, isn't it? Yeah. Going, yep. going around like that. This episode is brought to you by Found Space, Australia and New Zealand's premium infrared sauna company. Ready to sauna? Ready to take your health to a higher level? Make your home a place of wellness with Found Space. Visit foundspace.com.au or foundspace.co.nz to learn more. I want to talk a little bit 
shortly about kind of how you choose about, I guess, where the money goes and, and the projects that you guys are working on. But mm-hmm. before we do, just from like a high level, like what would you say it took in those early days to do all of that work, like mentally? Because to me, I hear a lot of belief. You know, you walk into this manufacturer and you guys deliver your message, something completely unique. Like to me, that that rhymes with belief in, in what you're trying to do. But I'm curious, like from your perspective, what you think it was that that helped make it happen in those early days? I would definitely say um, belief. Like it was really big, like we had this vision and the, the vision was big. You see, um, we did have a lot of setbacks in those early days. Um, we had like with that private beverage distributor, we still had to work pretty hard and it was a year. We got 350 stores um, around the country and then we lost 300 of them within six weeks. How? What, what happened there? Um, because our factory got a bigger deal and prioritised that bigger deal over ours, um, which meant we didn't have production, which meant, supply. you know, all these stores were out of stock and needed to go somewhere else. And, yeah. um, you know, it was pretty discouraging. Like we had that kind of thing happen so many times in so many different ways, like so many different setbacks that there were so many times we just felt like giving up and saying, why are we even doing this? I think one of the things that really helped was us working together as a team. So usually one of us would be discouraged, the others would get around and champion and be like, come on, we can do this, let's go. Uh, Let's keep going, lift your head up, let's keep going. I think that was definitely a really big one for us. Um, Yeah, and the other one, like, you know, you said it before, it's definitely vision. You know, when we wanted to give up at the beginning and we had everything, it felt like everything fell apart in that first year. Someone even said to us, look, you've pat yourself on the back. You've built a well. That's really great for kids your age, you know, well done. You know, now go and just do your proper jobs and, you know, finish uni and things like that. And they meant well. But for us, that wasn't our vision. We'd seen not just a village receiving access to safe water, but a whole community and, you know, hundreds of thousands and hopefully one day millions of, of um, people receiving access to safe water. So we knew we hadn't finished and we had to just take that next step along the way. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, there's always someone who's like, yeah, well done. Yeah, you've done well. Should leave it there. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, so talk to me about how you guys decide where the funds go now. It's not just about building wells, I presume. So I'm curious, like, what the process is there and Absolutely. We have gone on an epic journey regarding our giving. Um, Back in the day, we had every single bottle or every single product that we had had a unique code on the back called Track Your Impact. And that unique code would show people exactly where that project, um, that bottle is being assigned to fund. It would show you the GPS coordinates and breakdown and everything. And it was was a really big project that we'd put together just to show the transparency because it's something that's really important to us. However, as we've journeyed and we've learned more and more about development and doing it well, we're just seeing dysfunctions along the way when it comes to philanthropy. And we've actually released a video about it and a blog about it as well that's um, worth looking at to learn more detail about this. But it was when we realised, and actually Pete Yao, he's our chief impact officer, he was on us for a, a while going, we're putting everything in boxes. So we had our water range, which funded our water projects. We had our personal care range, which funded our hygiene and sanitation. And we had our food range, which funded food, baby range, which funded um, maternal and infant health. And um, 
when you give specifically to that one area, you can only make so much of a difference. But when you're able to give holistically to a community in a way that is best suited to their needs, then they're able to um, have sustainable, um, I guess, growth as well and impact. So, we kind of went on this journey of looking at how can we give. So we've actually decided to change instead of giving specifically to projects, we now give what's called unrestrictedly. So our main mission is those living in extreme poverty. So we find organisations that are focused on extreme poverty and then we um, work out an alignment with them. Like, So we check to see um, that their system's focused, that they're, you know, building something that's going to be long-term, that it's not just like short-term fixes, but they're actually looking at long-term, something that's measurable. They're actually able to measure their success and seeing the impact that they're making, um, that they have a strong team as well. Um, And it would just be, these are some of the metrics that uh, I guess is used in the business world when, you know, giving, um, when investing into businesses, they're kind of very similar metrics um, that are looked at and they've kind of been missed in the charity world a little bit for a lot of different reasons whether it's marketing reasons or or whatever it might be and so um it's been probably harder from us because we don't have, you know, I guess the badge of honour to say this is how many people we've helped, um, you know, or this is the work that we've done specifically and instead it's kind of changing it a little bit more and focusing it more on our impact partners and going this is the work that they're doing and this is the impact that they've been able to make and we still keep them accountable and monitor, you know, the success that they have and the impact that they have. But Instead, we say, hey, we're going to trust you with this. So we've now given to 18 different partners, you know, across 36 different countries. And we're looking at many different areas and regions, but it's all focused on that, I guess, measure of extreme poverty. Um, Even there was one point there where I realized that was a good opportunity to talk around our giving model around donor dysfunction. So a lot of people think that a lot of the organizations on the ground, it's just because of violence or conflict or, you know, you got violence and conflict at 4%. But actually, if you look up here, funder created obstacles that charities face is actually 46%. <laughs> so now we're looking at trying to change that. So we're not actually saying, look, this is the money that you're getting. You have to use it in this way only. And you know, X, Y, Z of how they use it, but rather um, empowering the charity to be able to, you know, trusting that they're on the ground, they're skilled, they have um, incredible insight as to what's, you know, needing to be done uh, and trusting them with that. And so then it sort of takes away that 46% of funder created obstacles and being able to, um, yeah, release them to do their best work in that and so that's really nice so essentially what that means is it's going to maximize the impact that they can have because they're not running into these issues as much yeah i guess the point of this is kind of flipping it a bit there's this podcast called the way we see charity is dead wrong um, by a guy called dan polenta and he breaks it down how charities are viewed very differently to um i guess for profit businesses and how there seems to be like a different criteria on success and so he kind of flips that a little bit and that was a big eye-opener for us you know seeing that and going yeah we relate and understand at the end of the day 
you know, the charities that are on the ground doing the work, they know what they need to get done. They have the expertise and background in it and they need to be free to do that. Whereas from some of this, and we we break it down in our blog online as well, giving a few examples of some donor dysfunction, right? Like of um, how, you know, this one time the big clothing drop was done, you know, and then that actually affected the community rather than helped empower them because all of the local businesses that um, do clothing stores, they all kind of, you know, lost their income and that sort of thing. So it's around really looking at what is going to be the best measures of success. Yeah, I really like that. And again, it's it's kind of that insight that isn't immediately obvious. You know, like you said, with the one of your first experiences, like, what are you going to do with this money? We're going to buy a plow. Like that's yeah. in our way of thinking, we don't think that way. And in this case, like, oh, we're going to deliver them all of these shirts. That's great. And it's like, yeah, but what about the people who sell shirts? You know, we've just ruined their income for three months. Yeah. It's just that different kind of perspective that needed to be applied here for it to actually work. Yeah. And is it hard to find these charities that actually tick those boxes for you? It hasn't been hard. There are so many people that are on the ground just doing incredible work. Um, we definitely do our due diligence well and we make sure that, you know, there's good reference checks and that we're working in with other organisations who've done, you know, the proper research and that sort of thing as well. But, um, yeah, it's definitely not hard because there are amazing people that are on the ground. That's really positive to hear. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be easy to take a cynical view and just think that a lot of them aren't actually, you know, putting the money into to the wells or the sanitation or whatever it is. So it's really positive to hear that actually no, there's a lot of these organisations out there doing really great work around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Or even for us at the beginning days, it was a lot of like, and this is a big trap that I think a lot of businesses fall into is the marketing um, thing. So I was head of brand at the time. And so for us having these, you know, very easy links of like our water funds, water projects, our food funds, food projects, and being able to have those simple links that consumers can link to. I'm like, these are very important because these help us, you know, get more um, people on board. And if we lost these links, we wouldn't have more people buying our product. But turns out that wasn't really the case. We still had people buying our product, even though we, you know, said all for extreme poverty, all of our products exist all for extreme poverty. And then we were able to give holistically. So to one community, instead of being able to just fund their wells, we were able to do what they needed holistically for that community. So That's really interesting to me. So you found that kind of simplistic link in a way didn't actually have an influence over how consumers worked and bought into your brand? No, we actually learnt this little tip from this book called Do Purpose. And it says, number one, we actually had this on our office when we had an office, <laughs> we had this <laughs> up on our wall. Number one, create good product. Number two, never use a cause to sell an average product. And then it was like, um, never forget rule one or something. I actually am having a right, mind. Yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. Rule three, make sure your product is good. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, like, I think a lot of people that have gone out to do purpose and there's been this mindset of it doesn't need to be that good. People will buy it because there is a cause. But at the end of the day, people are really only going to buy things if they're good yep. and if they work. 
Um, and so that has been a focus that we have really driven hard on is that we've driven hard on making sure our products are very good. Um, we had another quote that we lived by and um, this is from Martin Luther King Jr. He says, all labor that exists to uplift humanity is important and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. Mm. And that quote was kind of a core for us in the beginning days as well, still is now of making sure we're just putting our best in, in everything that we do and not just taking for granted that what we do has a good cause or mission behind it, but actually that it has to holistically work. Mm, I love that. And where you guys are at now as a business, what are some quotes that you work by now? What are some quotes that we work by now? I think we still hold on to those really. Um, at the moment, we're talking about how backwards is forwards and how we had to go on a journey these last couple of years of going back to actually see some of the foundations of who we are to be able to move forward. And that has been a big thing for us. And we actually released our next book on that. So our first book was called Chapter One. And so everyone's saying, oh, when's chapter two coming out? When's chapter two? We right. can't wait for chapter two. It's been like eight years since we launched chapter one. And uh, we've just recently launched chapter zero. Congratulations. And that is more on, yeah, that journey of us, you know, looking at a manifesto. So it's actually can't be bought. It's actually only for those that are on the inside that are helping us build the brand. So it's a manifesto of who we are and our core I guess, values and um, philosophy in how we are going to grow. But it is also available for free as an online version for those who want to be part of uh, helping Thank You Grow. Yeah, beautiful. And did you do a part of the writing for that book? Uh, I definitely helped with a lot of it um, in amongst it. So I had helped along with Sarah, um, who was in our team, we kind of put together this manifesto. And then it got to a point uh, where I realized we actually need some stories in here. So I went to Daniel, I said, we need to put some stories in here. And within a week, he had actually pumped out nearly enough for a whole book. Wow. And so then we went, okay, this is a book. Uh, and then I helped, yeah, work through those stories and, and that sort of thing as well. So it was a big team effort. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, putting a book out is no small feat. No. <laughs> In whatever form. Yeah, that's wonderful. So what's it going to take to raise the awareness to the next level, say in Australia as an example, of what's actually happening around the world and the extreme poverty that still exists? Like how do we get it more into the conversation? How do we get more of an understanding out into the public? And perhaps even question for you is like how do we educate our children you know, you have some young kids. I have a six-month-old now. He's probably a bit young for me to start talking to him about um, water issues um, in Africa. But I'm curious, like, what's it going to take to level up this conversation with the public at the moment? Mm, absolutely. And I feel like even in the last couple of years since 2020 hit, I feel like a lot of the complexities in the world have sort of increased in a way and so a lot of people's capacity to be able to think more outside of the world in which we're in has has probably decreased in a way um because there's already so much going on you know contextually for people and you know i think one guy said to daniel you know like i'm caring about you know now this and that and this and that and now you're expecting me to you know care about you know extreme poverty as well you know and um, I think that's why we exist as thank you because 
you know, we're not as advocates, you know, like, um, so we're not out there changing policy and systems and things like that from that perspective. We're just changing the way people purchase. And if people decide to buy something that they'd normally buy on a day-to-day basis, they can buy something that actually helps make a difference in the world. A lot of people we've heard back in the past that bought our products, bought it because they liked it, um, they liked the look of it, and didn't actually realize that the the reason for it was actually ending healthy and extreme poverty. Uh, and we're good with that, you know, like because at the end of the day, um, that's something we're passionate about. And if people just need a hand wash um, and they'll buy ours, that's great. Um, your question though um, around, yeah, I guess your friends and family, I think it comes from organic conversations. You know, I think when people can see that it is something that is passionate to you about it, um, when you're, you know, reading and researching, um, you know, a bit more further of stories that are happening in developing countries, that helps significantly. Our son, from when he was younger, I mean, obviously because of the journey we've been on, we've talked with him a lot about what we do at Thank You and the stories. We just tell him some of the stories from Thank You about, you know, Deborah, who um, she said when she got a toilet, it was the best day of her life. Um, she was, you know, disabled and used to have to crawl into, um, you know, where what was, I guess, that hole on the ground, you know, situation. But now there is a toilet that's been made to give her dignity and safety in that. And so, you know, we'll we'll share stories with him, you know, about what these other kids are doing, but, um, you know, are facing each day. And it's definitely made him passionate about it. But we try and do it in a way that is where he's at and his journey. So when he, like you're saying, your six years, two month old is probably too young, but even as a four-year-old, when he was four, you know, we were very sensitive to make sure, uh, especially because he's got a very soft um, and compassionate heart. So we're very, you know, conscious to make sure that we give it to him in doses that he's ready for and, um, you know, sort of journeyed with him on that. So, mm. yeah. Wonderful. Amazing. Yeah. It's, um, just got to keep talking about these things and bring them to light, you know. And Absolutely. That's how we get the message out there. Lovely. And um, come to the end of our time, Justine, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Maybe now's also a good time to talk about what Thank You is currently working on and new things in the in the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, we have just released Thank You Reimagined. Um, I'm not sure if you followed along on the socials or not. It's been a lot of fun. Give us the download. What's Thank You Reimagined? So we have just released um, for the first time a whole new way of doing our personal care range. So it's um, with a reusable system. So that's within Coles at the moment and Woolworths. And you'll also see online store as well has popped up. Nice. Um, we have also just launched a deodorant and this deodorant, it can, uh, it is refillable. But what I love about it is 100% natural and it actually works. Um, we've been trialing it for over a year at home and every time the samples came ran out, I'd be like, quick, we've got to get some more of these samples <laughs> in because it's the only thing I loved using. So now it's so exciting that we can share this to the world and it's out there in real life that people can get access to um, the deodorants. Um, we also have, which is exciting, 100% natural cleaning range that has come out. So not only is that 100% natural, not only does it work, but it's also hospital-grade antibacterial disinfectant. Beautiful. Sorry. And um, it depends on how you choose to dilute it. 
And it was developed with this intention of making sure that there was no chemicals that could cause any reactions to people that might be sensitive with skin issues, et cetera. Um, yeah, and it's it's so exciting to have that as now part of our, you know, portfolio. And it's, um, yeah, I also am loving seeing Daniel use it around the house all the time, you know, making sure our windows are super clean. Amen. Uh, it is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. That's That's really cool. Yeah, I find it interesting to think that, like, it kind of goes hand in hand that it, you guys give back so much and have such great impact around the world. Like, of course, that ha- that goes with a, a completely natural product. Um, but when you think about it, like it, do- it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it, it should. And in this case, it does. And I think that's really wonderful. So nice work bringing that to the market. Thank you. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, find out more about Thank You, where can they do that? If you head to thankyou.co, um, that is our website that has, you know, all the information on there. It has also some more information there on our giving model, um, just to map that out a little bit more on there too, or also on our socials. So thank you, AUS is our handle for Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. <laughs>